Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, 2 Peter. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we go through often just books of the Bible, uh, verses by verse, sections by section, chapter by chapter. And so we're right in the middle of uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. And uh, it's a difficult passage. I'm not going to candy coat it for you. It's a tough passage. And I really want it to be relevant to you and to your family and how we apply this to our life, how we live this out. And, and at, at some points this week, I was kind of struggling with a little bit. And just God just, in the way that he works, just kind of in a new way, kind of opened up this passage to me as I was going back over it this morning. And so now I'm really excited. And I'm watching the clock, making sure we got enough time for communion and all that stuff. So Second uh, Peter chapter 2. Uh, we looked at the first uh, 10, uh, actually about nine and a half verses. We went through... Uh, verse 1 through the, the first half of verse 10, there's just kind of an odd break there in your Bibles, and we're going to pick that up in the second part of verse 10 all the way through the end of the chapter. So look at verse 10, and in there you probably have a little break there, it kind of starts in the middle of the verse. Be bold and willful, they do not tremble. Who's they? Go back up to verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. This is who we're talking about. These false teachers, false prophets, they're described here as bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So he's saying, these false prophets blaspheme glorious ones, angels. But even angels, even though they know that they're wrong, they won't say bad things about them in front of the Lord. Verse 12, but these false prophets, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming uh, about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, uh, insatiable uh, for sin. They they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Bor. They love game for, from wrongdoing. But was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs, misdriven by the storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again 
entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from holy commandment delivered to them. While what the the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to his own vomit and the sow, after washing himself, returns to wallow in the mire. Difficult passage. Let me just kind of bring this into uh, where it is today. And I I want to just take a minute because we read that and we go, man, that is just so long ago. These ideas of false prophets. But Peter says they were there and they'll be in your church. And so when we think of false prophets, man, we think of the, you know, the late night TV evangelist that says, you know, if you send me $50, there'll be $50,000 in your savings account. Or we, we think of the the guy that says, you know, if you love Jesus, you'll buy me a plane or whatever it is. And we, we go, that's just, people that are fooled by that, I mean, bad for them. That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, he says there are blemishes at your love feast. It's actually, he's saying he's, your blemishes at your communion table. In other words, they're here. And so what, what is this group of people? And I, uh, so I came in this morning and I was thinking about this. Uh, two things popped up on my social media, which I know I shouldn't be looking at social media on Sunday, but I was, praise God. And um, one of them was an article about a, a YouTuber I thought I recognized and didn't. For those of you who are older, these are young people who film themselves doing different things and people follow them and they make a bunch of money. And uh, so this YouTuber, a uh, couple guys that were doing this crazy things, have a huge following, and they came out with what they call, what is being called today, a deconversion story. And a deconversion story is, I grew up in the church, and I was a follower of Jesus, and then I found this out, and I found this out, and I no longer believe that kind of stuff. And it's really popular today for people to film and publish and talk about these deconversion stories. And, uh, and a lot of our young people are, are following this. And so I want to talk a little bit about where this comes from, because we go, oh, man, I, where, where does this stuff happen? So in Jesus' day, remember, they had all these kind of, uh, one way it happens is because we, we teach the wrong things, just like in Jesus' day when, when the Bible says, God says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to enjoy a Sabbath day. I want you to rest. I want you to focus on me. I want you to think about how the fact that you're not ruling the world, I am. And people go, oh, that's really good. Well, how does that, what does that look like? And somebody says, well, I know. We should have a rule that you can't walk too far. Oh, good rule. Let's write that down. And they said, let's have a rule that you can't do this. Oh, that's a good. And all of a sudden, there's like 10 different rules. And over time, people are following those rules, but they've totally lost the meaning of what God originally said. Hey, I want you to take a day off, and I want you to rest, and I want you to think about me. And I want you to be reminded that you don't rule the world. And people go, oh, I do that by not walking too far. Now, to us, it's kind of silly. When I went to Israel, uh, and Holy Land's tour, uh, went into uh, the hotel that we're staying on, on the Sabbath, and there was two elevators. A Sabbath elevator and a non-Sabbath elevator. Now, I was curious. I had, I said, Gina, I said, 
when are we ever going to be here again? I said, we got to ride the Sabbath elevator. So we get in. I'm like, what's a I mean, an elevator, it takes you up. It's doing all the work for you. A Sabbath elevator, you know what it is? You don't push the buttons. It stops on every floor. We were like on floor 14. I was sad about my decision. <laughs> Somebody decided that is too much work. Now, you go, oh, I'm so glad we're not silly like that. Somewhere in the idea of how we treat our, our money and how we trust God for money, somebody said it's a sin to gamble. And then because it was a sin to gamble, it became a sin to do anything with playing cards. Anybody remember this? So we're playing, my family, I, okay, we have cards. I grew up with cards, sorry. And we, my wife and I play this game called Nerds. I don't know if any of you have heard this, it's a really fun game. It's like solitaire against other people, okay? And you have a common thing and you're just kind of going at it like this. And so we were, one time we were a new couple and we, we were like, uh, do you guys play games? Yeah, and we taught them this game of nerds, and, and uh, they weren't very good at it. And, and uh, they said, well, we, they had us over the next, next weekend for dinner. And they said, well, we want to show you a game. It's called Dutch Blitz. I'm like, okay, I'll learn a new game. You know what Dutch Blitz is? It's nerds without cards. Somebody said, this is a really good game, but we can't have playing cards, so let's make up our own cards. They killed us, because I'm like looking at, is that a, what is this? I don't know, I can't. So we made a rule. And then what happens is our kids get older and they look at those rules and they go, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not play cards. You lied to me. Because we've created all these rules. And so people begin to deconstruct, this is another word that they're using, deconstruct their faith. And when they deconstruct their faith and they take this whole thing apart, you know what ends up happening? They start tearing apart some of the good stuff. And so we go, oh, time out. Let's get back to the Bible. Now, another way that this happens is just like in the garden. God says, this is all good. This is what's good. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which basically God is saying, I'm going to define that. And the temptation is, well, you know what? I want to define good and evil on my own. I want to be like God. And we have a lot of people that are like going, the church says this is bad, but the world says this is good. I'm going to define good and evil according to this. And so we have these group of people that are not only saying, I don't believe what, what the church has taught me or what the Bible says or what you say about, not only do I not believe that, but follow me because I found the right way. Now, the gospel is this. Let me just say this, and I'm going to dig into 2 Peter. I'm trying to do this as quick as I can. The gospel is simply good news. That's what the gospel means. And the good news is God created everything. It was perfect. It was good. It was everything for us to live in eternity in God's presence, co-ruling with him, establishing his kingdom on this earth. The problem is, our forefathers and mothers decided to choose good and evil on their own. They left. They were kicked out of the garden. Death entered into the story. And the story of the Bible is God 
redeeming work of chasing after us and getting us back in that right relationship. He did that by sending his son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to shed his blood so that we might be in right relationship with God. But we have to respond to that in some way and place our faith in that. And so the story is playing its way out. And people are saying, you know what? This story's been going on for a long time. I don't think it's true. People are saying, I think the disciples made that up. We looked at that a few weeks ago. I don't think it's true. And, and Peter is saying, look, remember this, that you should have a growing faith, that your identity is in Jesus Christ, that you can trust God's word, that these people are trying to lead you astray. And then chapter three, Jesus is returning. And when he does, he's bringing judgment. So Peter is trying to grab our attention here and say, don't be fooled by all this stuff. It's not in here, but what Peter is saying is don't be fooled by all these people on the internet and in our backyards. So these false teachers, uh, we're gonna look at today, these false teachers deny the gospel. Uh, they fail to deliver the gospel and then some lessons that, that we learn from them. So it's kind of interesting if you just kind of look at it here, we see that in the first few verses they're blaspheming and then in verse 14 they have eyes full of adul adultery and they have hearts trained towards greed. So they, first of all, deny the gospel with their mouth. That is that they're just full on blaspheming things that are good. And they're described in the beginning here of, of the second part of verse 10, in the ESV, bold and willful. They are daring and self-willed. Now, <coughs> remember we're talking about these false teachers. Daring and self-willed sounds like something somebody might put on a resume, right? Risk-taker, bold, self-reliant, self-starter. So it sounds like a good thing, but think about here, daring and self-willed, or other translation, arrogant. Daring and arrogant, that's a dangerous combination. And then he goes on to call them ignorant later on. That doesn't help any. So they are, they are bold and they're arrogant. Um, and so that is just a dangerous combination. One person wrote, they do what they want, persist on their own opinion, and have no regard for others in their arrogance. How does Jesus describe leaders? People who are servants, who give of, them, of their life for others. Second, they blaspheme angels. Now, uh, what Peter is talking about here is pretty clear. Oh, that is a bummer. What Peter is talking about here is pretty clear, blasphemy. Uh, he says it three times. What he means by it isn't as clear. And so let's just define this real quick as I get my notes back in order. Um, blasphemy uh, basically means uh, to speak with a sense of irreverence, especially about God or holy things. In this case, the holy things are uh, these angels. The angels, according to commentators, could be two things. Angels, as we think of angels, or just God's messengers. He could be talking about preachers. Um, when we look at this in context of Jude, I think he's specifically talking about angels. Uh, I haven't heard anybody in this church blaspheme angels recently. Uh, so you're all safe there. Uh, but understand angels were a much bigger deal uh, in the in Peter's time. Angels and demons and these type of things 
Uh, they talked about more, and so these people were blaspheming them. But I think it goes just a little bit deeper than that. Uh, and here's a clue to what I think the false teachers are doing. Angels are often associated with judgment in the Bible. In fact, keep your finger here and turn to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has just told the parable of the weeds. And just kind of a little quick reminder, Jesus tells a parable. Uh, there's a wheat field. Somebody has gone out and sowed weeds in the field. And so they look out and the wheat is growing and the weeds are growing. And uh, the farmer is like, what do we do? What do, what do we do with this? And in verse, uh, verse 30, he says, let, Jesus says, let both, or the farmer says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and ban them in bushels to be burned, but then gather the wheat into my barn. So let's separate them at the harvest. And so later on, Jesus begins to explain this um, parable to his disciples. And in verse 36, he basically says, look, here's, here's how this goes. Uh, Jesus answered, verse 37, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And then he says in verse 39, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Okay, judgment. <clears throat> Look at verse 41. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. Okay, angels are involved in that. Verse 49. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. Uh, flip over a few chapters to chapter 16, verse 27. <clears throat> Not just this parable. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. It's actually a common theme in the New Testament. Angels are associated with the coming of judgment. So what are these false teachers saying? Listen, this is important. They're saying there's no judgment at the end. They say Jesus died for everybody and everybody is going to heaven. Now the problem with that is that makes God A, a liar, because he talks a lot about judgment, and be unjust. When is injustice going to be dealt with? And so one of the things these false teachers are saying, they're blaspheming this idea that angels are going to bring judgment. Uh, one more thing, and, I, and I'll dig, i got to go a lot faster here. John chapter 3. Some of you can quote at least the first part of it in your head. Okay. John chapter 3, we, we, I just want to make sure we're not taking that verse when we're hanging up uh, the goalpost out of context. John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, verse 16, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, amen? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Oh, listen, there's no condemnation, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, if we stop there, we go, look, there's no, there's no judgment. Hold on again. Verse 18. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus' first coming was not a coming of condemnation. His second coming will be. And so there's this idea of judgment. And I, you know, it's a Baptist church, and I know for some of you, you grew up in churches where, you know, hell was hotter and, and the preacher preached about it every Sunday. And we want to make sure that we're focusing on God's love, how we're, we're given this new identity in Christ, how we were created to be in the image of God, and uh, that God is, loves us so much that he's chasing after us. But if we're going to be honest, we have to deal with these judgment passages. I have to warn you as your pastor. These are real things. So, they're also described, they are daring and arrogant, I love that, blaspheming angels, and they are ignorant. Um, Nobody likes to be called that. (coughs) Verse 13, um, they are suffering wrong as way they come uh, after pleasure, Um, they're blots and blemishes. And uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, uh, verse 12, like irrational animals. They're ignorant, irrational animals. Uh, by instinct, uh, you can, some of you fishermen here will like this, uh, verse 12, born to be caught and destroyed. Uh, it's a fishing term here. It's, it's, it's the fish that you go out fishing for that you're not going to eat. Okay, they're bottom fish. Some of you are like, ooh, I like bottom fish. No, these are the ones you just want to toss. Okay, that's how they're described. There's no worth to them. And they're destroyed and destructuring, suffering wrong for the wrong that they've done. And then they're also in your face. Um, that's kind of a modern term. Peter doesn't quite say it that way. Um, but, but notice he says in here um, that they are they're reveling in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. The love feast, the communion. They're, they're right in your face. They're doing their own thing and they're just saying, no, you're, you, we can do all this. You guys are all st- stuck in the mud and this is, there's nothing wrong with this. And, and look, at we're, we're taking communion with you. We're part of the church. We're doing all this stuff. They're just really in, their, in your face with it. And I thought, you know, me growing up, I, I didn't really experience this. But more and more today, not only do people want to say, this is what I believe, but they want to say, this is what I believe and you need to understand it and you need to believe it with me. And so they're really in your face with it. And so we, that's, that's how it's described here. They also deny the gospel with their eyes. We've talked about their mouth. They're, they're blaspheming angels. They're bold and arrogant. They're, um, they're in your face with it. But then in verse 14, it says they have eyes full of adultery. Um, in verse uh, 13, it says this idea of, of reveling in the, uh, in the daytime uh, suffering for the wrongs, they, uh, they count it pleasure. The, the word pleasure there in the Greek is, is hedon. It's where we get our, our idea of hedonistic. They're just, they're chasing after pleasure. Um, they, uh, they look for pleasure. That's just, that's the focus. Um, they, they might say something like, and I don't know that you've ever heard this before, but if it feels good, do it. If it's good for you, do it. And it's just, you know, make it about you. They look at, they look at women as objects. The idea of this having eyes of adultery, I just, I really kind of focused on that idea. They're just, 
they're only looking at women in a sexual way, which also comes up in our culture quite a bit. And I, I'm glad that we're acknowledging it in our culture, but I don't think some of you realize how deep it has gone in our culture, where men just think of women as objects. And it, it can even filter into the church. And we have been given men just this incredible gift of a partner. And it's much, much more than a physical partner. It's an emotional, spiritual, relational partner. And our world has turned that into something wrong. And the church needs to stand up and say, wait a sec, that's never what God intended. Um, they turn others towards sin. It says they, uh, uh, they, they entice unsteady souls. They're bringing other people into it. So they deny the gospel with their mouth, with their eyes, and then third, they deny the gospel with their hearts. It says they have hearts trained in greed. <laughs> what, what a great, Peter's just, he's just, this is rolling off the tongue for him. Trained in greed. Um, and then he gives the example of Balaam. Now, some of you got to be reminded of the story in the Old Testament. And if you're reading it in the Old Testament, when you're reading it, Balaam doesn't come across as a bad guy. In fact, when we went through that in its numbers, uh, some of you came in and was like, I'm confused by Balaam. Balaam comes in and says, uh, somebody comes, hey, we want you to come curse Israel. And so he prays and God says, no, you can't curse Israel. And so he comes out and he says, well, I can't do it. God said, no, seems like a good guy. But they said, well, why don't you come with us anyway? And so he goes. Why is Balaam going? Well, the story un unveils, it's like, Balaam's like, well, God said I can't do it, but if there's any way I can, they're willing to pay me. So let's see if we can find a way. And so he does, he asks again, God says no. He has, he has, a, he has a conversation with his donkey. Even his donkey is on better terms than he is. I have a great sermon title for that one. If God can, never mind, I'm not going to do that one. And so he goes through this, this whole thing, and at the end, Balaam comes up with an idea. You know how we can entice them. We can entice them sexually. And it works. And Balaam gets paid. And so he says, look, these false prophets, they're just, they're trained in greed. They're trying to, they're trying to financially gain off God's children. And what's amazing to me is these people that are, are de- conversion stories. They're writing books about it. They're selling it. They're saying, hey, come follow me. I still want to lead you. I just don't want to lead you there. So we have uh, trained in greed. They, they're seeking for profit. B, the false teachers fail to, live, to, to deliver the gospel. Uh, I'm going to do this pretty quick, but you can just see it in here. It's, it's really clear in the text. Um, he says uh, in, in verse 17, they are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. What is a spring supposed to deliver? They're waterless. The mist, we talked about this last week. You go, what is mist, right? The farmer's watching the storm coming in. And he's like, oh man, I need, we need that water. We need that water. 
here comes the mist, here comes the rain, and then the wind blows the storm away and they don't get the rain. So the storm is supposed to deliver water, doesn't deliver water. They're waterless springs, they're mist driven by the storm, they don't produce. Um, I think there's also, could be kind of a deeper meaning here. According to Genesis, the book of beginnings, God's spirit hovered over the face of the waters. Only then did God speak, and shortly thereafter we're told that a mist went up from the land and watered the whole face of the ground. Indeed, throughout history, whenever God is gracious to his people, it is attended by word and by the spirit going forth in great power. And it's often expressed in the language of water. So the idea might be preaching without word or spirit. It's, it's dead. And think about this. There's churches meeting all over the world that are singing songs and the preachers aren't preaching the word of God. And so you're going to that church. I hope it's not this church. I don't believe it is. You're going to church to hear the word of God preached and you get nothing. It's like going to a spring and finding no water. It's empty. And Peter says, beware of that. So they don't deliver the gospel. Um, they boast in folly, which seems like they don't, they don't boast. And look at me, I'm in folly. They boast in things that the Bible says is folly. They're boasting in it. They're posting it on their Facebook and on their Instagram, and they're tweeting about it, and they're saying, look at this, look at this, look at this, and God's saying, stop pointing that out. Stop boasting in that. Verse uh, 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Um, they promise freedom but are slaves. Uh, this could be a reference to Paul's teaching. We'll get to that in a few weeks. They claim a gospel but are still trapped in sin. <coughs> All right, so we have to deal with a hard one here. Let me read it again real quickly. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteous. So are these, are these Christians who lose their salvation? What is happening here? Um, and uh, the youth has been talking about this, and, and Rich has been talking about Judas. Think of, it, think of Judas. I walked with Jesus. He was sent out by Jesus. He, he preached the gospel to one, you know, the kingdom of God to one point or another, and then he betrays Jesus. Jesus says it would have been better if he had never been born. Now, don't answer out loud, but in your mind, are you going to see Judas in the kingdom come? Man, talk about a guy who had an opportunity that wasted it. So there are people who are introduced to the gospel, who make a claim to the gospel, but never really take it in. Now, what we find out later is not only was Jews out there casting out demons and preaching the kingdom of God, he was also stealing the money. How does a, how does a guy do that? So look, there's, there's I, and it's part of our statement of faith, I believe that, that you cannot lose your salvation. Okay, please hear me say that. Okay, this has been kind of an issue lately. You can't lose your salvation. I told it to my students this way. I'll probably get in trouble for it. 
I believe in perseverance of the saints. I don't believe once saved, always saved. Now, technically they mean the same thing. Perseverance of the saints, there's something that we continue to walk with God to the end. Through the strength. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't take a side trip every once in a while. But we've made once saved, always saved people. In, in Sunday school, they raised their hand and said, I believe in Jesus, so they're, always, they're going to heaven. Wait a second. There's a little more to it than that. So I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I, I believe that you can lose something you never had. And so that once saved, let's be sure of that. It needs to be saved. Fully committed to Jesus Christ. Not just a, a declaration or signing a card or saying something and not following through. We have to, we believe that you can, can't lose your salvation, but you can lose something you never had. So make sure you had it. Make sure you had it. So these people says it's like a, it's like a pig who gets a bath and then goes and wallows back in the mud. I don't like the other term, okay? But it's like a dog that returns to, it's not a pretty picture. Peter means for it to be that way. To live in this realm and then to leave it, it's not a good thing. Now I would say they, they never really fully lived in this realm and their end points it out. So they weren't, really weren't once saved. But we need to preserve, we need to keep going in the faith. Can't lose your salvation, but if you never had it, it can certainly disappear. So here's some lessons we've uh, heeded from this destruction. And I, when we think of our mouths, what is it that you praise? What is it that you talk about? What gets your, your time and attention in conversation? And I, I just say that because, you know, oftentimes we get together and we talk about money and we talk about things. Um, we talk about what we do, and it's just amazing how quickly Jesus could not be a part of that conversation. And so it's just our mouths kind of show us where we're going, what's important to us. What is it that you praise? Second, what is it that you desire? Um, man, you know, you, you, you sit and you, you watch those home remodel shows and you go, oh, man. I really need a new bathroom. And, I, you know, my wife and I have that conversation. We have a tub that, that really needs to be, you know, burned. Um, but it's an old house. It's not going to happen. And, you know, I, you know, ultimately, what's the bathroom for? I, we don't need to talk about that. Uh, it, it, the, the point, what, what we, we just, we, we desire all the, and some of these things, they're not bad. It's okay if you remodel your bathroom, not say anything. But sometimes we are so focused on the things of this world that what we desire is temporal. We desire a quick fix. We desire a big amount of money in our bank account, whatever it is. And I was just looking over uh, some of the uh, things that John Long does for CB Northwest, and he does a lot of the, the peacemaking and, and things, and he has a great definition on his brochure. It just happened to be open on my desk. It was so awesome. And it says, it says right on the top, it says, what do you desire? And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm preaching on that this morning. And, and it's just, it's, it's the uh, downward, downward spiral of idol worship. And it starts this way. What do I desire? 
And then after what do I desire, the second, second phase there is what do I demand? Isn't it funny how all of a sudden we desire something and then we're demanding it? And then he says, what do I judge? And now it's moved from demanding to I'm judging other people that don't have the same thing or desire the same thing that I want. And then the final one is what do I punish? And so we have an idol in the church, you know, and it's, maybe it's a program. And we, we desire it. And then we demand that that thing keep going. And when it doesn't, we start judging people that don't do the, the thing that we used to do the way that we used to do it. And when they don't do it for long enough, then we punish them. That's how it happens in the church. But sometimes we have something we desire, and it's just finances. And we, we desire it, and then we demand it, and then we judge other people that don't have it. They go, they don't work hard enough. They don't work as good as I do. And then we punish others that don't have it. See, when something takes that, so what is it you desire? And I've said this before, but some of you want heaven without Jesus. And I'm just going to let you know he's going to be there. So well, I want that heaven where you live forever and you don't have any more pain. That's really good. But this Jesus stuff is a little overwhelming. And just so you know, heaven's all about Jesus. And so we want both those things. What is it you desire? Um, next uh, on the list there, and, and I'm, I'm finishing up, what do you meditate on? That desire, what is it that you start to just think about all the time? How about this? Are you bearing fruit? False prophets are like waterless springs, mist driven by the storm. What about you? Is the fruit of God evident in your, in your, in your life? And then finally, are you a part of the mission? We talk about this all the time. Love God, love people, make disciples as we're following Jesus. And you know what? The love God part, ooh, like that, that's good. I love loving God. Loving people, yeah, you know, some of them. Others, you know, maybe not so much. Make disciples, oh, that's what the pastors do. It doesn't work like that. Love God, love people, make disciples. We're all doing that together. Are you on mission? This is just one of those Sundays where you just got, you got to look into yourself and say, am I following Jesus or am I just following a set of rules and traditions? And so here's my application for you this morning. The gospel is not something you add to your plate. It's a lens in which you see everything. It's a lens in which you see everything. It, it, it's not part of the American dream. It's not just a United, it's not America thing. The gospel is from the very, if it's from the garden on, and it involves every, you see everything in lens of the gospel. It's not just something you go, man, I, you know, I want a good, happy life, and I, I want a good retirement, and yeah, I want a little Jesus over here, and, and how about a new car? It, that's, not what it's, that's not what it is. It's everything. You view every relationship through it. You view everything through it. Now, I always mention the car thing. I struggle with that. Um, it's my own personal thing I, that I'm trying to, to get that desire out. And I was having lunch with my good friend, Jess Strickland, yesterday, who, by the way, we're going to start his book in two weeks. On the 19th, it'll be available next week, Starving. We're going to go through it as a church, want to go through it as a church, about fasting and so we'll talk a little bit more about that next Sunday, but I want to get ready. And so I was having lunch with my good friend, Jess, and we brought up cars, and uh, he's, he is in the market for a car. And I, I was so convicted by him. 
He said, well, I set a price, and I won't spend more than that. I said, well, okay, that makes sense. So he's in a dealership, and he's talking about this car. It's a great deal. And the guy, said, he said, I won't tell you how much. He said, I'll give you this much for the car. And Jess said, I'm going to tell you this right now. He said, I'm not paying a dollar more than that. And if you call me tomorrow and tell me that you now have that car at that price, I won't buy it. And he said, and you won't even believe why. And so the salesman's like, all right, I'll bite. Why? And he says, because I'm committed to loving Jesus more than anything in this world. And I won't let you tempt me to love this thing more than Jesus. And this is the price I've set. And if Jesus doesn't want me to have the car, then I won't have the car. That's a good one. How many times are we tempted to love something more than we love Jesus? How do we, do we set boundaries so that we don't do it? I was so convicted by that. Jesus isn't something we just add to our plate. It's, it is the lens in which we see everything through. Um, good chat. So you want to read the book. Just let me tell you that. Um, second, the gospel is not something you simply know. It's something you seek to live out every day. And what I mean that it's just it's not just knowledge based. We, if we know it, then we we live in light of it. Something changes in us. And I think this this third point is most important for Baptists. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, the gospel is not simply something that transfers you from this life to the next. It's something that transforms you. The gospel isn't just like a ticket. I got my ticket. See it? I can tell you what date I got it on. The gospel is something that transforms you. It changes you. It molds you and shapes you into the image of God. This passage is, uh, was not a fun one to preach on. Um, because if I'm honest with you, we have to say, uh, if Peter is true, we, that there are false teachers around us. That there are things that are leading us away from following Jesus. And if that's true, then we all need to check ourselves and make sure we're on the right track. Because we follow the wrong desires, and then we start demanding them, and then we start to judge other people because they're trying to keep us from it. And then we start to get mean about it. And so we, we need to make sure that we are fully engrossed in following Jesus. So let me say it again. Our desire here is to love God. Amen? Love people as we follow Jesus the way he would do it. We need to make disciples. And that's what we're trying to do as a church. And we don't want to be distracted by other people saying, this is more important. So let's pray. The worship team is going to come up. And then Rich is going to come up and lead us in communion. Just to have you just take a moment. I don't normally do this. I know it was kind of a, it was a big passage, um, a lot of hard stuff in there, but maybe just take a moment to um, talk with the Lord on your own. Check your own relationship with him. Father, we, we come to you humbled by your word. We recognize that there are so many things in this world that distract us. 
and we start to, to follow them and desire them and chase after them and even demand them. And then we realize we're, we're desiring things that you, you don't want us to have. Father, help us to humble ourselves before you and to <clears throat> be content with the love of God in a right relationship through Jesus Christ. May we strive to be in the image of Jesus Christ, students of your word and led by your Holy Spirit. May we have and leave here with a sense of, of awe and fear of the Lord, that there is judgment to come. May we be thankful of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ, may, but may we live in light of it every second. God, help us to be seriousness, serious enough about our faith that we don't take it lightly. That we love you with our whole heart, with our mind, our soul, and strength. I think of the proverb that we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding or the understanding of the world around us. In all of our ways, may we acknowledge that you're working and you're in charge and you're doing things that you might make our path straight. Lord, as we come to the communion table, we take a moment to repent of sin, to confess that before you. And we just turn our gaze and our attention to you. In Jesus' name.